Our loving Father in heaven, thank you so much for another opportunity to be among the living today. Glory be unto your name, Father, for giving us life and all the blessings that you have given to us in food and shelter, clothing. We thank you for the spiritual blessings also. Dear Father, now is the time for us to receive spiritual blessings. We pray for your spirit to be upon our hearts, granting us understanding of your word. Especially I pray, Lord, for myself who I'm going to be speaking. Please take full control of me. Put your words in my mouth that I may utter blessings to your children. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. That I may know him, February 13. The Greatest Teacher And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. 1 John 5, verse 20 The world's Redeemer did not come with outward display. Or a show of worldly wisdom. Men could not see beneath the disguise of humility the glory of the Son of God. Christ reached the people where they were. He presented the plain truth to their minds in the most forcible and simple language. The humble poor, the most unlearned, could comprehend true faith in Him, the most exalted truths of God. No one needed to consult the learned doctors as to his meaning. He did not perplex the ignorant with mysterious inferences or use unaccustomed and learned words of which they had no knowledge. The greatest teacher the world has ever known was the most definite, simple and practical in his instruction. He attracted attention to purity of life to humility of spirit, and to devotion to God and His cause without hope of worldly honor or reward. He must divest religion of the narrow, conceited formalism which made it a burden and a reproach. He must represent a complete harmonious salvation to all. The narrow bounds of national exclusiveness must be overthrown, for His salvation was to reach the ends of the earth. He rejoiced in spirit as he beheld the poor of this world, eagerly accepting the precious message which he brought. He looked up to heaven and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast heed these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Matthew chapter 11 verse 25 Men of the highest education and accomplishments have learned the most precious lessons from the precept and example of the humble follower of Christ, who is designated as unlearned by the world. But could men look with deeper insight, they would see that these humble men had obtained an education in the highest of all schools, 
even in the school of the divine teacher who speak as never man speak. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is The Greatest Teacher. Our key text taken from 1 John 5 verse 20 tells us, And we know the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Amen. The greatest teacher being referred to here is Jesus. In our devotions, we have been developing a point. Looking at the character of God, we see that our Lord is tender, loving, and compassionate. We also see that He is merciful, and in showing mercy and compassion to the world, He tries to relieve us of the burdens that we pass through our affliction in diseases and sicknesses. But more than that, His intention is to relieve us of the burden of sin. And in relieving of the burden of sin, we have seen that it is necessary for us to preach the gospel. And that is why we are looking at our devotion today titled The Greatest Teacher. We have known now and by the grace of God, some of us have realized that we ought to freely give, we ought to enroll in the service of the Lord by whatever means or way or position the Lord calls us to intentionally serve him. Whether it is, as Jesus said, pronouncing a blessing on those who would give to the prophets, those who will give to those who teach those who give in the name of a disciple and even if it is just a cup of cold water you give the lord says you will not lose your reward and those who preach to of course he says they will not lose their reward those who minister in whatever way whether by their strength or by their skill in assisting the movement the preaching of the gospel the lord will reward but Talking about the preaching of the gospel today, which is what we are going to look at, how is it done? Today and tomorrow, we will look at that. We are looking at how to preach the gospel. We already know. Concerning our Lord Jesus, we have read today in the devotion and we have seen before how it is, at least we saw it in yesterday's devotion, we talked about it much, that we are to reveal the light to the world in our character wherever we are that is the greatest gospel that can be preached it is by our character because our words will hold no value if our lives is not in harmony with the words that we are preaching so by the life christ lived that was what made him the greatest teacher never man speak like him because never man lived like him what was it that he was teaching about first of all before we talk about how he did it Today and tomorrow we'll talk about how, but what was it he was drawing people to? We read in our devotion today that he attracted attention to purity of life, to humility of spirit, and to devotion to God and his cause without hope of worldly honor or reward. That last part is very important. While attracting us, and if we are to be great teachers like our Lord, we are to do the same thing, exactly the same things Jesus did. Listen to his teachings. What was he saying? Seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. In that, he was attracting the minds of people away from the things of the world. He said, 
take no thought what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or wherewithal shall thou be clothed. For after these things do the Gentiles seek. He said, Your father knows that you have need of these things. He pointed our minds to the lilies and to the birds to inspire in us faith, knowing that the Lord will take care of us. But he attracted the attention away from the worldly cares to purity of life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is purity of life, humility of spirit, devotion to God. And while seeking this, you are not to be thinking of worldly honor and worldly reward. This was what Jesus was teaching about. He says he must divest religion of the narrow conceited formalism which made religion a burden and a reproach. He must present a complete harmonious salvation to all. Not half-baked salvation. If we must be great teachers like our Lord, if we must be instrumental in bringing about an end to sin, sickness, the woes and sorrows of this world, a half-baked gospel will not do that. You must take the gospel in its entirety. Some people today in laboring with God, they are not doing right. They take some of God's commandments while they neglect others. But the word of God tells us in James chapter 2 verse 10 to 12 that the word who says thou shalt not kill also says thou shalt not commit adultery. And if you break one while keeping the others, the, the word of God, the law of God convicts you as sinners. So we must present the gospel in a complete and harmonious way to the people because it's only the complete gospel that will save a half-baked gospel will not save the bounds of national exclusiveness must be overthrown for his salvation was to reach the ends of the earth if we are to present the gospel in its entirety it is not to a select few it's not just to people who you like but to every one and we are to rejoice like our lord as we behold people accepting the precious message and them changing their lives. We are to thank God. But what is most important in all I have said are two things. Present to the people purity of life, holiness. Tell them seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness while not promising anyone saying, oh, there will be worldly honor for you. The Pentecostal gospel today that has to do with prosperity and promising people healing 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 miracles and miracles that is not the gospel that we have to present the gospel that brings salvation is not that one the gospel that brings salvation is what the word tells us in first john chapter 3 reading from verse 6 he says whosoever abideth in him sinneth not whosoever sins has not seen him neither known him little children these things write unto you whosoever little children let us not be deceived whosoever doeth righteousness is righteous whosoever sinneth is of the devil and for this purpose was the son of god manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil whosoever is born of god does not commit sin because he is born of god and his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin this is the gospel to tell people that Christ has come to give us power to get 
the victory over every single sin that exists that is the complete gospel it is not the bringing down of the law like some people do telling people that the law has been done away with it is not the promise of prosperity telling people you shall be great you'll be the first and all of that telling them that you are rich you will always be rich that is not the gospel if you must be the great teacher present the gospel in its entirety complete in the harmonious whole to the people giving them salvation what brings about salvation is freedom from sin it is not promotion in your job it is not getting of a new job it is not getting a way out of your third world country into a so-called first world country that is not the gospel the gospel is not about you coming to give testimonies as to how you have gotten this temporal blessing that temporal blessing it is about the testimony of victory over every besetment over every sin over bad habits over evil over temptation that is the gospel we are to present now the next thing we are to talk about is how jesus did it you see it's very important that we have this in mind Paul tells us that he counted all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And to know Jesus, apart from the gospel he preached, you must know how he preached it. Concerning Jesus, it said in the book of Isaiah 50, reading from verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Amen. So, there is a way to speak the gospel that will make it more receptive to those who listen. The vocabulary and style we choose must be such as would reach everyone. In 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, Paul knew about this and said concerning how he gave the gospel, he said, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So how was the gospel given to them not just in word but in power? The power is the life they lived. He said, you know what manner of men we were among you. That means the power of the gospel was the life that Paul and his brethren lived among the people. It gave the gospel power. But what about the words that they spoke? How did they speak it? What choice of, what style of, of, of speech and vocabulary did they use? First Thessalonians 2 from verse 1 says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not vain. But even after that we have suffered, before and were shamefully entreated as you know at philippi we were bold in our god to speak unto you the gospel of god with much contention so first lesson when speaking the gospel be bold don't be timid don't be intimidated don't speak like you don't believe what you are saying speak boldly that was how our lord jesus also spoke going on in verse 3 he says for our exhortation was not of deceit nor of uncleanness nor of guile but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which tried our hearts. So, another lesson we learn from here, when we are speaking, we should not be deceptive. We should not try to mislead and use guile to deceive people into believing whatever we want them to believe. Verse 5 now, he says, For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, 
God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdened some as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherished her children. So another lesson we see here is that Paul said we did not speak flattering words. We will talk about what that means very soon. But let me just read one other passage. 1 Corinthians 14 from verse 8 to 11 that talks about what okay before that i'll read what we saw in our devotion that i may know him page 50 paragraph 3 it says christ reached the people where they were he presented the plain truth to their minds in the most forcible and simple language the humble poor and the most unlearned could comprehend true faith in him the most exalted truths of god no one needed to consult the learned doctors as to his meaning he did not perplex the ignorant with mysterious inferences or use unaccustomed and learned words of which they had no knowledge. The greatest teacher the world has ever known was the most definite, simple, and practical in his instruction. End of quote. This is what Paul did when he said we did not use flattering words. If you start to use vocabulary that people cannot understand, it is not the common one that people know. How do you expect to be understood? Are you seeking glory for yourself? Because that's what Paul said. We did not use flattering words. We did not bring a cloak of covetousness and we did not seek the glory of men. When you use vocabulary that sounds like, oh, you know the dictionary more than others. And you speak words that people cannot understand. The common man cannot understand. You are flattering them and you are trying to bring, bring glory to yourself. Christ never did this. I even question your desire to preach the word if that's what you are doing. Because you are using the gospel as a means to show yourself. You are using the gospel as a means to bring glory to yourself. If you really wanted to people on if you really wanted people to understand you, why didn't you use words that people could easily understand? If you really wanted people to get the benefits of the gospel and you know that what you are saying is going to be heard by all classes of people all around the world, why then do you choose to use language and vocabulary that everyone will not, even the learned, not even to talk of the people who are not learned, even the learned can't even understand you. They need to take a dictionary. You are quite, you are very questionable if you are that kind of person. First Corinthians 14 verse 8 to 11, Paul said this, For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? So likewise you, except you utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know the meaning of the voice, I would say the meaning of the words, I shall be unto him that speaketh. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, that is the meaning of the words that are used, if I don't know the meaning, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. You see that it's important, the choice of vocabulary. And worse is even those who say they are speaking in the spirit, speaking in tongues, and they are saying things that cannot be understood. Who are you helping? Is that how to give the gospel to the people? By saying things that even you do not understand and no human being can ever understand. Not even angels in heaven can understand what you are saying. Are you giving the gospel when you do that? No. You have to speak words that people can understand. Simple words that even the unlearned can understand. But today, 
if you do that, speaking words that people cannot understand, even the learned has to take a dictionary, then you need to stop doing that. Learn of Jesus. Speak words that are simple. Don't bring glory to yourself. If you want to be a great teacher, that's what you should do. Isaiah 50 verse 4, we read earlier, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. If you, if the Lord is with you, if he is the one actually giving you the words and putting it in your lips, like I pray every time I want to do this devotion, Lord, please give me the right words to say. If the Lord is really giving you the right words to say, he's not going to give you words. He's not going to put words in your mouth that when you speak, the learned cannot even understand you. That is one lesson. You must speak with simple vocabulary, clear enough to be understood. If we must be great teachers and if we must carry this gospel to the world and bring an end to sin, sorrow, affliction, sickness. The next lesson is that when we speak those simple words, let's say we've learned to speak the simple words, we should learn to speak distinctly. Jesus, the greatest teacher, spoke distinctly. Matthew 7 verse 28 and 29 says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus, this was the Sermon on the Mount. There were many people there. If Jesus did not speak distinctly for them to hear what he was saying, they will not be blessed. The people will not be blessed. Concerning Jesus, I'm reading now from Voice in Speech and Song, and that's where I'll be reading so many things I'm going to be reading now. Page 71, paragraph 1. It says concerning Jesus, Jesus is our example. His voice was musical and was never raised in high, strained notes while he was speaking to the people. He did not speak so rapidly that his words were crowded one upon another in such a way that it made it difficult to understand him. He distinctly enunciated every word and those that heard his voice bore the testimony that never man spake like this man. By loving words and by works of mercy, Christ bore down old traditions and man-made commandments okay end of quote so again is that his voice was like music to the ear but the point here is that jesus spoke distinctly what does it mean to speak distinctly it means to i don't know how i will pass with that whether mine i speak distinctly all the time but i know that to speak distinctly means to pro pronounce every word one by one not letting one word to crowd over another joining them together so that people cannot separate one word from another that's the meaning of distinct to be distinct that's the meaning of distinctly in this context to be distinct means that you separate the words from one another that they don't mumble up together if you must teach the word of god and the gospel for people to understand we must speak distinctly and he did not hurry his words nehemiah chapter 8 verse 2 and 3 i am reminded of how ezra taught and the people taught distinctly because they needed people to understand it says ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Ezra read from morning till midday before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all people were attached 
attentive unto the book of the Lord. Now look at verse 5 to 8. It says there, And Ezra opened the book inside of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now verse 8 said, So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. Amen. So to speak distinctly will make people to give sense to what they are hearing and it will cause them to understand the reading. When you explain, speaking, pronouncing one word after the other, not letting them mumble, not speaking in a hurry. Like I said, the voice of Jesus was like music to the ear. Here in Voice and Speech and Songs, page 72, paragraph 1 says, He spoke slowly and impressively emphasizing those words to which he wished his hearers to give special heed. Old and young, ignorant and learned could catch the full meaning of his words. This would have been impossible had he spoken in a hurried way and rushed sentence upon sentence without a pause. The people were very attentive to him and it was said of him that he spoke not as the scribes and Pharisees for his word was as of one who had authority. End of quote. So another lesson we are learning about Jesus here, he spoke slowly and impressively. It's not just about being so dull. He didn't speak dull. Take note. Some people think, oh, because they said he spoke slowly, that means he's, he was dull. No, he was not dull. He was impressive. And another skill to use in speaking is to emphasize words that you wish the hearers to give special attention to. I, As I'm reading this, of course, I'm evaluating myself and you too should evaluate yourself. It's something you should do. When you are reading, when you want to teach people and you reach the place that you want them to focus on, you slow down. And when you slow down, you mention that word with more stress because that is where you want them to focus. That is how Jesus taught. When he was teaching, when he is talking about something that he wants the people's mind to draw their attention to that thing he's saying, he slows down in that place, emphasizes the words he wants them to understand and that way it impresses their hearts more deeply. Another lesson we learn from Christ is that he used a natural key to speak. Page 72, paragraph 2 then says, Had he raised his voice in an unnatural key, the pathos and melody of the human voice would have been lost and much of the force of the truth destroyed. Wow. So raising the voice in an unnatural key destroys the force of the truth. You must speak with a natural key with pathos and melody. What is the word pathos? The word pathos in the dictionary in those days, Noah Webster's dictionary says passion, warmth or vehemence in a speaker or in language, that which excites emotions and passions. So when Jesus spoke, he spoke with pathos. That is, he spoke with passion. Passion does not mean he spoke with anger. It just means that he spoke earnestly. He spoke impressively in such a way that those who are hearing him the emotions are excited based on the things he's saying they can feel it when he is talking of the glories of heaven they feel it when he's talking of the torments of hell they feel it when he's talking of the 
life that we are supposed to live in holiness, the people are called out to feel the need to live it. Why? Because the way he was speaking with pathos was touching their hearts. It was making an entering in into them in such a way that they understood and they wanted to live that life. Again, talking about his voice modulation, it says that, of course, you, you don't leave your voice flat when you are speaking. Page 73, paragraph 1 says, If the voice is toned right, if it has solemnity and is so modulated as to be even pathetic, that is pathos, it will produce a much better impression. This was the tone in which Christ taught his disciples. He impressed them with solemnity. He spoke in a pathetic manner. So, I've already talked about that. And like we have said, there was sweet melody in his voice. But then, this does not mean that this is the only way Jesus spoke. There were times when he had to rebuke. How did Jesus say those words and the people did not... I mean, when you read the kind of things Jesus said to the Pharisees when he was telling them, ye blind guides, woe unto you, woe unto you, woe unto you, whited sepulchres, fools and blind. And then he told them, you are like whited sepulchres that have dead men bones inside you, but outside you look beautiful. He told them that they are hypocrites. How was Jesus able to say these things? You know, there's a way you say these things and people will pick a stone and cast them on you immediately. But the way Jesus spoke, the people who were listening to him, they, they could see that he was not even insulting them. When he was rebuking, for example, in John 8 verse 23 and 24, he said to them, You are from beneath, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not. And then in verse 24, he told them, You will die in your sins. If you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. If somebody came to tell you today, you will die in your sins, how would you feel? Most likely, you may be offended because the person is saying that. In chapter in verse 42 downward, he told them, You have the you have your father, the devil. That's in verse 44. The lust of your father you will do. How was Jesus able to say to the people, You have your father, the devil? Voice in speech and song, page 73, paragraph 2 says, He fearlessly denounced hypocrisy, unbelief, and iniquity. But tears were in his voice as he uttered his scathing rebukes. Amen. So, he was fearless when he was saying these things for sure. But while saying it, the people could hear in his voice that he was not angry with them, wanting to destroy them. But he was saying it in a tone that they could hear the compassion, the sympathy in his voice. But yet, he was fearless. There was love in his tone. Going on, it says in page 71, paragraph 3, His tender compassion fell with a touch of healing upon weary and troubled hearts. Even amid the turbulence of angry enemies, he was surrounded with, it, with an atmosphere of peace. The beauty of his countenance, the loveliness of his character, above all, the love expressed in look and tone, drew to him all who were not hardened in unbelief. I just noticed that I did that thing now. As I was saying, look and tone, I slowed down and emphasized those two words. Unintentionally, actually. But just that's the way I've learned to do it. Why? Because that's where I want you to focus on. It is not just the tone, but why it is that Jesus could speak like this is that it was his face. The face, the countenance showed love. The tone, they could hear love. And that's why... They knew that this person wasn't necessarily denouncing them and condemning them because 
by looking at his face they knew that he loved them and he was not necessarily speaking derogatorily about them. It says, had it not been for the sweet, sympathetic spirit that shone out in every look and word, he would not have attracted the large congregations that he did. End of quote. So, our looks when we speak and our tone are to be taken care of so that in the look, the countenance is seen that there is love in it and so also in the tone. But then Jesus still spoke with authority. For example, when he came with scourges to chase the people who were doing merchandise in the temple, he spoke with authority. And in confirmation, even when he was teaching, not just when he was chasing them away, when he was teaching in Matthew 27, verse 28 and 29, it says there that they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So how was his voice sometimes? Voice in speech and song, speech 73, paragraph 3 and 4 tells us, Into the busy world, filled with the din of commerce and the altercation of trade where men were, were trying selfishly to get all they could for self christ came and above the confusion his voice like the trump of god was heard what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul clear ringing voice in the temple so this was an example here I just read of how his voice was as a trump of God speaking with authority. And like I said before in the temple too, the same thing. It goes on to say, his eye sweeps over the multitude, taking in every, every individual. His form seems to rise above them in commanding dignity and a divine light illuminates his countenance. He speaks and his clear ringing voice. The same that upon Mount Sinai proclaimed the law that priests and rulers were transgressing is heard echoing through the arcs of the temple. Take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. So that was end of quote. So that was an example of Jesus speaking with authority. Again, it says in page seventy-six, paragraph two, he could say to whom he pleased, "Follow me," and the one addressed arose and followed him. The spell of the world's enchantment was broken. At the sound of his voice, the spirit of greed and ambition fled from the heart, and men arose, emancipated to follow the Savior. Amen. And then again, it says concerning him, in page 76, paragraph 1, unlearned peasants and fishermen from the surrounding country, the Roman soldiers from the barracks of Herod, chieftains with their swords at their sides, ready to put down anything that might savour of rebellion, the avaricious tax gatherers from their toll booths, and from the Sanhedrin, the phylactered priests, all listened. This taunt concerning John the Baptist to John the Baptist as if spellbound, and even the Pharisee and Sadducee, the cold, unimpressible scoffer, went away with the sneer, silenced and caught to the heart with a sense of their sins. Herod in, the, in, his, in his palace heard the message, and the proud, sin-hardened temple ruler trembled at the call to repentance amen so um, this was just about john the baptist it may be relevant to us or not of course it's relevant to us to also see that john the baptist spoke also with authority just like our lord jesus did when it was necessary to do so so it's good for us to understand these things what we have seen so far about the greatest teacher is that we have a message to give 
the greatest teacher did not give the prosperity gospel. He gave the gospel of repentance and victory over sin. And that's the same gospel we are to give. And we have looked at a way to go about it, speaking words that are easy to be understood. Simple language, easy to be understood. The vocabulary should be such that everyone can clearly understand what you're saying. We'll see more about that in tomorrow's devotion. More than that, we should learn voice modulation. We should learn to speak with authority. We should learn to be distinct when we are pronouncing words. Give emphasis to the words that need emphasis. Pronounce word by word. That's what it means to be distinct. Don't mumble them up. Let there not be a hurry. Speaking very fast. You know, this issue of speaking fast for some people, it can be quite relative. If you speak so slowly, you'll be dull. When it says that Jesus spoke slowly, that means he was speaking normally. I believe the way I'm speaking now is quite okay for somebody to understand. I'm not rapping. When you hear people who rap, people in the rap world, that is what it means to speak fast. They mumble the words together and rap it and then people praise them for how fast they can speak, how much words they said in a very short time. They even count it. They say, wow, in this person is the one who has spoken the highest amount of words in the shortest amount of time as if it is an achievement. But most times, people cannot understand what they are saying. If you really want people to understand you, you have to speak word by word, sentence by sentence, in a way that the mind can follow. When you speak too slowly, the mind is dull, and it becomes dull to the hearers. But when you speak normally, which is just slow, I would say, just slow, people can understand you easily. When you speak too fast, people cannot even take time to get one sentence before the other. I pray that God will help us to understand these things so that since we have said to ourselves that we want to be co-laborers with God, relieving the world of the sin and suffering that is passing through, we will also learn how to go about it, giving the right message in the right way. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father, for these lessons you've taught us. I pray, Father, that you help us to be learners in the school of Christ, learners on the gospel to give, how to speak that gospel. Help us in the tone of our voice, the countenance on our face. Help us to know how to speak like we believe what we are saying, not to speak in, timid, in an intimidated fashion, but like Paul said, to be bold when we speak, not with flattering words. Help us to be careful not to use the gospel as a means to bring attention to ourselves and to bring glory to ourselves by the things we say that make others to feel they have to take a dictionary to understand us. Help us, Lord, to be simple. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers and answering. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. This message was brought to you by the angel with a strong voice, a ministry dedicated to preparing people to stand true to God and be ready for His imminent return. For more information and free online resources, please visit www.tawas.org. That is www.tawasv.org or contact info at tawas.org.